So we are in James chapter 3. Um, I, um, I expressed it on Wednesday night. I even talked to Rick on Monday that um, one of the hardest things I've ever done is try to preach through chapter and chapter uh, expository preaching because it's very hard to not to move on from a point without developing it. Um, the longer you preach, the more ways you want to just nail home a point. And when you're talking between five and, and seven different points in a message, <clears throat> it seems um, almost like drinking from a fire hose or running on a fast train. It just seems a little bit awkward. But I'm going to do my very best. I want to continue this practical advice for practical living. Um, if you haven't went through the book of James, um, or at least not going through it with us, I invite you to do it. Um, from every book that I've read in the New Testament, this is the book that has the most things in it that we don't do as Christians. You know, I don't think any of us have a problem with repentance and baptism in Jesus' name. People have a problem with um, wanting to be filled with the Holy Spirit. People don't have a problem with um, trying to learn from the Beatitudes. But people have a big problem trying to live like the Apostle James said we should live. So, it's wisdom in this book that we often fail to apply or live out, and therefore we, we pay the price. And so... I'm going to ask that you pray with me, and we're going to jump right into it. I, I will summarize all the points we talk about at the end, just to kind of tie a bow on it, but we have seven different points to talk about today to get through this chapter. We'll do chapter four next week, then we'll take a break for Easter, finish up with five, and then I will allow you to enjoy a different sermon series in a different style, but we're going to get through this book together. But would you pray? Would you pray with me? Would you ask God to whatever point you need to work on, that God would make that known to you. I don't think we have all seven points wrong, but I want you to ask for God to make this message personal. Jesus, we love you. We're thankful for your, your presence we feel in this place. And God, I'm not so naive and nor not so young that I think that everything I say applies to everyone that's hearing it. But God, there is something I know. There's something that you want each person in this place to take away. Although we have a cross sections of needs and at different levels of spiritual maturity and time in the church, God, not everybody will have the same issue, but Jesus help us. Not just come and hear another message and then check off a few boxes that we have good attendance and that we're trying to still be saved, but God, we just don't want to be saved. We want to be molded and shaped in your image. God help us to cover a lot of material in a short amount of time, but God help me to do it in a way, present it in a way that not only is it easy to understand, but it's also easy for us to try to implement. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You may be seated. James chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards. And I love the next part. And none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. So just in those two scriptures, we probably have three things we need to unpack. And so according to James, to live 
life inside out, we need to realize that position envy is misguided. A common thing that I see in the church, uh, especially early on, let's just call it in the early 2000s, was many folks get position envy. They think they know more and could do things better, and so they begin to manipulate and work to get into leadership or try to control the leaders that are already in place. And what we fail to realize or consider is that with leadership, according to James, comes higher and stricter standards. Leaders are expected to live and behave differently. But you should go and read all the requirements for leadership found in Paul's writing to Timothy and Titus. It's it's super, super hard. I love the fact that James says every time we open our mouths, we get it wrong, and we get it wrong most of the time. Some want to control but are unwilling to live up to the standards. But we can't complain about the height of the bar if we want to or have accepted a leadership role. It's part of the package. It's part of the deal. You should expect your leaders to live at a high standard. And then at the same time, you have to remember the lessons from last Sunday is that we need to judge, but judge with mercy. Now, I can go further on that, but all I just want to say is that don't be so quick to jump into leadership. It looks easy. Uh, I heard a preacher say one time is that never compare yourself when you see another person working underneath the anointing. Because when you're anointed for something, you make it look easy. When you're anointed for something, it makes it look like you don't even have to try. But if you step outside of your anointing and try to do what somebody else is anointed for, I promise you, you are going to have a bad day. It's easy for us to criticize. But I love the fact that James says, according to our next point, that even your pastor is going to blow it. Now, I didn't need James to tell me that, but thank you, sir. Um, So mercy is needed. This realization that James is saying every time we open our mouths, he's talking about apostles, we get it wrong nearly every single time. This realization should end the tearing down of leadership. The truth is, the real truth is that we all teach somebody and we need mercy. We all misspeak at some point. This is true regardless of what church or organization, whether you're involved in leadership in the church or at work, whatever it is, it's going to happen. And truth be told, it's already happened here at C3. See, communication is comprised of what someone actually says and what someone hears, and those two things don't always match up. So I make every attempt to make sure that I choose my words carefully and correctly, but at some point, you will hear something through your translation filter, and it will offend you. So but hear me carefully. I don't mind offending your sin or your comfort zone. In fact, I intend to do every single time I stand up here and preach. But what I do not want to do is offend you in a way that will break fellowship. I have no problem giving a flying elbow to your sin. I want to beat your comfort zone to death. But I do not want my words, which could be harsh and pointed at times, to be, to be to the point where it breaks fellowship and relationship. So according to James, guess whose responsibility it is to offer mercy and grace? <laughs> to see the best in those. See, we have to offer this because I wish someone had told me this when I was like 18. Because I see so many young people in leadership that if they would just understand how to handle a mistake, not only would they go through the mistake, but they wouldn't be so damaged in their leadership um, 
as they're going through it. So I want to speak to anybody who's in leadership. You got to understand that all leaders make mistakes. To be human means to mess up once in a while. But the difference between good leaders and great ones lies in how they handle mistakes. You know, we saw that before is that they always said it in golf, which I don't play much anymore because it frustrates me and does not bring out the very best Christian in me. But they said in golf, everybody's good shots are good, but to be great, how good are your bad shots? So when everything is working great, leadership is great, but what lies for, for good leaders, so it's the difference between good leaders and great leaders is how they handle mistakes. What are you modeling to those around you when you make a mistake? See, your team, whether it's in the church or in work, will be watching, and what they see will affect their relationship with you and the level of trust they hold for you. So it's important to get it right. To get what right? Handling mistakes. So here's four simple but impressive ways you can demonstrate great leadership when you make a mistake. The number one thing is acknowledge your mistakes. Never try to cover up or blame others for what went wrong. You always have those people to say, why did you make me do that? Kids do it all the time. It's like, hey, you, you tell your kid they're running. Stop running. They, they dropped the pizza. You made me drop a pizza. Dude, I ain't touch your pizza. You dropped your pizza. But it, it, it's, it, we have it from a very young age that we want to blame others for all the mistakes that we have. If you mess up, admit it and own it. If it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Simply acknowledge your responsibility and move on. But insecure leaders may be afraid of looking weak, but not admitting their mistakes make them look worse and cost them respect. So I believe that leadership vulnerability is the ultimate strength. If I mess up, I will come to you and say I messed up. I, I am very, very careful. If you could see what goes on in this brain and how much filter I have to put on before it comes to this little microphone, you would probably give me a hug. I promise you, it is super easy to let your mouth go faster than your brain will work. And if you were in leadership, you could hurt somebody because sometimes, sometimes, let's just be honest, just you and I, sometimes it feels great just to give it to them. <laughs> And you're right, but you can't. You, you can't. See, admitting your mistake earns you the respect of those you lead and makes your leadership human. The second one is learn from your mistakes. Once you learn from your mistakes, don't repeat them. The old adage goes, when you repeat a mistake, it's not a mistake anymore, but a decision. So if you make a mistake, own it, admit it, drive on, keep going, but, don't, but learn from them. Don't make the same mistakes. The nature of great leadership a lot lies in accepting risks, trying new things, taking chances, looking for limits of what's possible. See, sometimes what happens is if you're in leadership and make a mistake, not only do you, you, you own it, but you, you cease to actually be great because no longer are you trying anything new because now you're, you have a fear of failure. And the best leaders know that creativity often means breaking the rules, making mistakes, and learning along the way. So here's what I always tell people is, I don't care if you make a mistake. Now, if you make a moral mistake, I really care. But if you make a mistake, we'll fix it in private. But if, if I have someone in my leadership, I will back you up because if you're scared to do anything, I don't need you. If we're scared to do anything, God doesn't need us. We have to understand that James just said every one of us make mistakes. Every time we open our mouth, we put our foot in it. That's what James is saying. But he's saying, hey, don't not teach. Don't not preach. Don't not lead. Just realize that you're not perfect. There's only one that's perfect. And realize that the people around you know these things, but be human, own it, and keep moving. See, teach others. Number three would be teach others from your mistake. 
times in our lives when we feel we have the least power can actually be the times we have the most. When we can affirm or redefine who we are and what we believe and make choices that help others benefit from our experiences, good and bad. This is what never happens. What's that, TT? Look, tiny tortoise, she's so cute. This is what happens. Is it happens at work, it happens in church, is that we're scared to death that somebody might be better than us, so we don't teach others from our mistakes. We just can't wait till they step on that landmine too. Because experience is the slowest and most painful way to learn. If I teach you now what took me five years to mess up and get right, now in maybe two or three hour sessions spending time with you, you just gained five years. But an insecure leader won't do that because now you're five years ahead of them. But you need to teach people. You need to teach people when you make mistakes, make a point of teaching others what you learned. Doing so builds connection and trust. If you're secure, you should have no problem helping others. If you are insecure, you can spot them a mile away. They won't give you the secret sauce. You always ask them. They'll never tell you how to do it. They'll never tell you what to do because they're scared of being replaced because they know they're just barely holding on. See, the best teachers and leaders are the guys, that are, the guys and girls that are coaching who show us the way after they have been down that path. And the fourth is just move on beyond, you know, beyond your mistakes. Success is connected with action. Successful people keep moving. They make mistakes, but don't quit. Learn from your failure as a stepping stone from, a, from your past. Learn from it. Don't forget your mistake. Or, you, you know, don't forget your mistake, but don't dwell on it to let it get you down. Some people can't move on from these mistakes. See, if you want to be a great leader, how quick can you recover? My daddy said all the time, oh, it's not, um, what did he used to say? It's not how bad you messed up, it's how quickly you recover. Can you recover? What's the fast way to recover? Own it. Hey, Matt, hey, I'm sorry, man. I just blew it. You know what? I, I apologize. You know about it. it won't happen again. Even though I hurt his feelings, I just earned his respect because instead of just acting like, well, I'm the pastor, bless God, I went to Matt and said, you know what? As another human being, I did you wrong, or I said something to offend you, or that action wasn't fair, and I apologize, and, I, and I'm going to take steps to make sure that doesn't happen again. And then other people in leadership, hey, you know what? I blew it this one time when I was doing this or whatever. If you can actually teach people, I promise you, you always have that one person in your life, maybe two people in your life, they're like, man, if it wasn't for them, I would have learned this and learned that and learned this. There's always those people that are willing to invest in you, and those are some of the greatest leaders and coaches. I'm not talking about just preachers and, and, and people in ministry. The, some of the greatest, most impactful people are those that will show you the way, tell you the mistakes they made so you can be successful at a younger age than they were. All right, let's keep moving. James chapter 3, verse 3 through 12. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. But our speech, by our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. 
With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? So according to James, if we're going to live inside out, we have to realize that we were lied to on the playground. You know what they taught you on the playground. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. James tells us the truth that words are the most powerful forces on the planet. We actually shape, frame, and yes, even destroy, tear down, and destruct things every time we open our mouths. We must guard our tongue in what we say. It's our responsibility to stop and consider the pain of the pleasure that our words create. We must become mouth managers. I'm still working on this. I'm like, Lord, help me. Because you know those people where it comes quick, sarcasm comes quick, pointed answers come quick, and I'm just like, Lord, help me bite this tongue. We have to become mouth managers. Here's here the way the James statement. You can ruin the world, disrupt harmony, and destroy a reputation. Not with chemical warfare, not with guns and knives, not with terrorism, with your mouth. We were lied to on the playground. That should cause us to pause and choose our words with supreme care. Because remember, our harmony and our reputation is impacted by what others are saying. Now listen to me. Listen to me. I know we're, I know we're in the Bible Belt. And I know that we have people watching from Texas, and so please don't send me any hate mail. As North Americans, we enjoy the freedom of speech. However, as Christians, we do not say, say, share that same freedom. Our Christianity trumps and overrules our American rights. We don't have the freedom to say whatever to whoever. We must have a filter and count the cost. Just because it's right, you better not say it. Just because, because you can say something right and you can push someone so far from God, they'll never come back. And it won't be the devil's fault. It'll be your mouth's fault. And so I thank God for our freedom in North America. But man, please have an open mind, but don't have an open mouth. Please, please, please. Our mouth is dangerous. You've heard of the dramatic pause? Well, how about I'm praying that we learn a holy hesitation. You know, just, just think for a second, just like a half a second. Think before we speak. Hold your lips back. <laughs> because those lips are either going to, to release death or release life. Same nine scriptures. Next thing we learn from James is God hears what we say outside of the church. Now, I believe in compartmentalism, but not in our Christian life. I believe that you need to try to find some work-life balance and stop dragging your work into your home, stop dragging all your home problems into your work, uh, stop driving, you know, dragging all that drama into the church. I believe in compartmentalization, which is my wife deserves my time with her. She doesn't, she doesn't deserve to hear everything happen at work for three hours and we don't get a chance to spend time with each other. So that's how I feel. However, compartmentalization when it comes to Christianity, it's terrible. Too many of us speak one way at church and use the same tongue to talk another way outside the church. James says this can't happen, and he even goes as far as declare that our choice of language is judged by God. James is instructing us that it's not only dangerous to be double-minded, but equally dangerous to be double-tongued. 
Now, I know there's nobody here in this room that has ever said one thing in church or something outside. I'm not talking to y'all. I'm talking to those who watch on Facebook. I don't know. But what happened is that the understanding that God hears us outside the church and our church talk doesn't cancel out our daily talk should cause us to talk the same at all times. Your conversation on Monday should sound similar to the conversation on Sunday. What we say to men actually shows what we think about God because the men were made in God's image. I think I've said this probably 150 times. So if you're sick of it, good. But I can tell a lot about you by the way you treat people you don't need. This is this, this. Lord Jesus, help me. I'm so, let me say it this way. I'm so thankful for COVID. Let me, let me, let me preface that. Because we're not going to restaurants so much. Because when I see Christians at restaurants, I want to start giving people holy headbutts and kicking over stuff because the way Christians treat waiters and waitresses and the way they tip with their stingy self, that drives me crazy. I get all itchy. I got to go pray through. I'm so thankful I get to eat in my house. But the way, when's the last, no, 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 please don't say nothing. Please don't say nothing. Just think, just think about it. Don't say nothing. Don't even change your poker face. What about people at the airport? Take my bags and and what do you tip them? Oh, I got a dollar. What are you going to get with a dollar? They drug your bags that are 75 pounds. They're going to charge you twice as much because you couldn't figure out what to buy. And now they're dragging all over the airport because you don't know what gate you're on. You're flying Delta, but you, you over here at Southwest and you want to give them a dollar? Well, thank you, Jesus. That's royalty tipping right there. That stuff drives me crazy. The way that we treat, how are we treating the people that are made in God's image? It's one thing to treat, oh, we treat all church people nice. No, 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 no. Everyone was made in God's image. How do you treat people that you don't need, don't look like you, talk like you, dress like you, don't go to the same church as you? That's going to show it. And a lot of times we don't treat them bad with our, with physical stuff. We treat them bad with our mouth. And when they find out we're a Christian, they're surprised and disappointed. Hmm. I'm not thirsty, but I'll just give you a minute. James chapter 3, 13 through 18. Do you want to be counted wise? Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. To build a reputation for wisdom? Absolutely. It's not going to be. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. Mm, Humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. Mean spirit ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you're wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whenever you're looking or trying to look better than others or to get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. James, give me a minute to breathe, dude. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if, uh uh-oh, only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Chris, I'm with you, bro. That makes my face hurt like, "Mm." makes me scrunch all crazy. I'm like, yeah, I want to be wise. Yeah, humble. Oh, yeah, humble. Oh, and only if, only, only if, only if you do the hard work of getting along. I got to like everybody? I got to get along? See, according to James, to live inside out, wise people are easy to spot. People that are wise are easy to spot. They live well. 
they live wisely and live humbly. See, sometimes you don't have to elaborate too much, but how many of you are concerned about your reputation? How many of you want a reputation that you're wise? James said, just live well, live wise, live humbly, and your reputation will be that of a person of wisdom. See, this generation struggles with who to listen to, who to take advice to, uh, from, and, and who to allow to influence their lives. Easy. Find someone who lives well, lives wisely, and lives humbly. I won't spend a lot of time on this because I get bogged down. But I only got a question. Question. Can people spot you? Or when people spot you, does that, ah, that's a wise person. Does that come to their mind? I don't know what people think about me. I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't really don't want to know. But going to the same thing, according to James, if we're going to live a life inside out, we have to realize that we can shut the door and keep the devil out. Now, I've spoken about this before, about a residence of blessing. Scripture says that there is a commanded blessing that sets up habitation, moves in to inhabits, and makes it home in a body marked by unity. Talking about a church, there is a residence of blessing. There is, there is this habitation. We long for it and desire for it to happen here. However, James reveals another residence. This is a residence that we don't want to visit or have anything to do with. Listen to this. According to James, anytime you mix envy, which is harsh, sharp, cutting, decisive, and jealousy and selfishness, strife or selfish ambition. At that moment, you have resident evil. I'm not talking about a video game. So listen to this phrase. I'm going to read a different version of the Bible. Same thing. When you have a body where envy or selfishness are running rampant, you will find disorder in every kind of evil. Think about that. Envy and selfishness, when mixed, will give birth to every kind of evil. Murder, promiscuous living, lust, drunkenness, gossip. You just fill in the blank. Whatever there's envy and selfishness mixed together. When you begin to see any and every kind of evil, you can look around at its root. You will find envy and selfishness. Now, just do it real quick. Just run through the last 10 years of your mind. I bet you every drama, every crazy mess that you were in at the root, was envy or selfishness. Someone was jealous and wanted something they couldn't or didn't have, or someone was being selfish. We must guard ourselves from jealousy and concern only for ourselves. We must be ruthless on those two components because they open the door to every kind of evil. The problem is that most of us keep the door open due to petty little jealousies and lack of concern for others. Wow. James is trying to give us cheat codes. Hey, you want to make sure that a whole bunch of mess or craziness doesn't enter your life? Just keep on trying to detect envy and jealousy. You can find envy and jealousy in your life. You need to be violent against it to get it out because that's the only way you're going to slam the door in the devil's face. What was the last one? What was the last one? Because I, I, I love Chris. Your face your face did exactly what I was doing on the inside when it said only if. According to James, next one is getting along with one another is hard work. James states that our level of wisdom is revealed in whether or not we're willing to work at getting along with one another. He's talking about in the church. He's talking about church folks. He, he is operating from the premise that some relationships just take work. I hate to break it to you. I am sorry. But for some people, you're just hard to get along with. 
I'm preaching now, brother. It's me and you, bro. I know. I make, I make church leaders nervous when I say, I know I can't pastor everybody. I rub people the wrong way. I make people angry. You know, I, I might be the person you didn't ever, I know y'all don't because you're saved. But like some people just looking at it makes you mad. I don't know what it is, but if something about you make me mad. I know I'm that guy. I know I, I, know I cannot pastor everybody. I know everybody's not going to like my style because I don't smile and say, you good and we good and we all good. I, I will get to where you live and I will knock over your little box of comfort. And I know people don't like that. But so we have to realize that I know I'm hard to get along with, but that's true of everyone for someone. The world would just say, don't even try, walk away, ignore them, sit on the other side of the room, just wave to them a little bit, find other people to hang out with. James' instruction is different. That's why I told you, this book is full, five chapters of stuff Christians don't do. Just, I'm baptized in Jesus' name, praise God, praise God. What else, man? I got the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. What else? Okay, now you're saved and what? And you don't do nothing else with the Bible? You just carry it around and save your seat with it? James is full of this stuff. James instructs, he says, to get busy, work at, clock in, determine to make relationships work in the church. Just because it's hard work doesn't mean he lets us off the hook. Why? He tells us our health as a church is determined by our willingness to work at relationship. Our health as a church is determined by our willingness to work at forgiveness and peace. In fact, according to James, not only is our health affected, but our harvest is also affected by our ability to be peacemakers and peacekeepers. He said the health of your church can be determined by your willingness to work at relationship, by your willingness to work at forgiveness. And if you don't work at being a peacekeeper and peacemaker, it will affect the harvest of your church. People that are supposed to be here will not be here because church folks can't get along. Most people judge the health of a church by the number of programs they offer, the amount of money they have in the bank, or their attendance. James changes the grading scale and says the amount of peace in the body is the real indicator of health. Have money all you want. Have as many programs for our people. Do it all you want to do it. Have attendance where you need people to stop traffic. Praise God. I want all that to happen here. But James says, I'm not impressed with none of that. If you want to take your temperature, whether you are a church that really... That's really wise. That's really successful. What is the amount of peace that's in the church? So it's determined today to go to work, to treat each other with dignity and honor. Our harvest depends on it. See, James calls us to manage relationships. He calls us to manage envy and selfishness. Aren't you glad we're so past being selfish? We don't envy anything, do we? Our life as a body of believers depends on it. And I told you, it's a lot of stuff coming at you really fast. So, let's have a recap, shall we? Position envy is misguided. Please be very careful when trying to run to position. Please be very careful. Ministry in the church has a different scale. You are expected to live at a different level. When my wife and I were dating and I asked her to marry me, she said, I don't want to marry a pastor. I said, good, because I'm an evangelist. Ah. That lasted about a year. Sorry, baby. (laughs) Why? Because she comes from a pastor's home. Her dad was a presbyter since I've known him, and we've been married 17 years. They live in a glass house. 
Their family is scrutinized. Their ministry is scrutinized. The way their kids act is scrutinized. Ministry is difficult. Please don't envy the microphone. I'll give it to you right now. You can come and get it. Come and get it. Because this 35, 40 minutes is the easiest part of my week. Why? Because you live in a glass house. But that's what you signed up for. So do not get frustrated with position envy. If you want to get in that position and all of a sudden you're held to a different standard, congratulations. Welcome. James is saying it's going to happen. And if you don't like the standard, you shouldn't do it or you should just step out. How about number two is my favorite one. Even your pastor will blow it. I will offend you. I used to say that to, when we when were doing Spanish. I would say, welcome to the church, all the visitors. I would say here at this church... Um, Someone is going to offend you. Someone is going to forget to shake your hand. Somebody is going to forget to give you credit. And that person would probably be me. Welcome to church. Why? Because they need to understand that I'm just as human as you are. Please don't mistake the lights and the shirt that kind of matches the pants. Don't mistake all that and the hair gel. I'm just like you. God just gave me a different mission. So I'm going to make mistakes, and I'm going to mess up. I'm thankful that James says that every time they open their mouth, they mess up. How about three? We, or three, three, three? We were lied to on the playground. Your words are powerful. That sticks and stones may break my bones. Words never hurt me. That is playground lies. How about number four? God hears what we say outside the church. Number five, wise people are easy to spot. Six, we can shut the door and keep the devil out. And seven, getting along with one another is hard work. That's hard. What's also hard work is try to do seven points and keep it under 40 minutes. What you looking at me for? It's tough. This is the hardest, hardest series I've ever preached because I'm trying. And I was messing with, I was called to one of the brothers. I said, you know what? I am ruining myself. I've given you seven messages in one. I am completely burning the book of James. How am I going to preach out of James? I can't go back to James for two years. Like, heard that, heard that, heard that. <laughs> but I'm trying to, the whole thing about this is when you go through your Bible, get you your three by five card, write down whatever points they mean to you. You might not write down, they lied to you on the playground, but I bet you every time you, you think of that now, you're going to think about words are powerful. I'm trying to show you that this doesn't have to be boring, this whole thing called Bible study, this whole thing about learning more of the Word of God. Just write down what it means to you. So going through chapter 3, seven points. Just gave them to you. Hey, can we go through the thing? Yeah. Even the overhead guy would make mistakes. Just go through all of them, son. Go to the end. Keep going to the end. So if you say, Pastor, what'd you get out of chapter three? That's what I got out of chapter three. Because how many of us read, like, hey, what did you get out of it? I don't know. I fell asleep halfway through. Was it good? I don't know what I read, man, because I'm reading the King James because they said that's the only one that actually works, and I can't understand none of that. Find you something that you like and read it. Find you something that makes you want to read it and read it. But don't just read it and forget about it. You know, if you want to write down and get those big margin Bibles, you can do it. Like I said before, that's not the Dead Sea Scrolls. God is not going to strike you down. You can write in that. You can buy another one on Amazon. You can buy a case of them if you want to. But you need to actually make your time you spend in the word fruitful. Write it down. So that's what it is. Just a seven. 
So next week's chapter four. How many is going to be, Pastor? I don't know. I got to read it. Next week's chapter four. Then the following week is Easter, which used to be, the, I mean, it's still probably the hardest thing. I mean, it's like, right, how about Easter? How would you like to preach 20 Easter messages? How many different ways can you talk about the most awesome thing on earth so you guys don't get bored with it? So you have to go through the Bible like this because my points will be different from yours and your points will be different from mine. But what I'm trying to get you guys to do is, is this year, we still got a lot of year left in 2021. Will you please change the way that you study and read the word? Make it fun for you. And then after Easter, we'll do chapter five. So stand with me, please. I don't know which of the seven is hardest for you. I would say number seven is probably rough for some folks. Because you know, if you go outside the church, you got to get along with every human. That's rough. Um, but when we started this, all I wanted was one thing to come to your mind. I don't know what it is. Whenever Matt finishes editing it, it goes on Facebook. It'll tell you the, 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 the minutes and the seconds that I preach. I don't know how it is. We'll call it. I always say 35 because it doesn't sound that long. 35 minutes. Gosh, that was 57. It's about the same thing. But I'd also be naive to think that I could talk for 35 minutes and that you, I would have your attention the entire time and everything I said was actually applied to you. That would just be so naive and so arrogant on my part. All, I'm, all I wanted, the only objective I have is that something I said, just one thing, would hit home with you. Something that you could take away. Something that you could say, you know what? I'm going to work on that. Or you know what? I'm going to go back and I'm going to read James chapter 3 in my Bible and see how that works. That's all I want to do. And again, this whole sermon series is not to tell you everything we're not doing. This whole sermon series is to show you how I read the Bible and how I pull points out so you can read your Bible and do the same thing. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to, to stand up and, and preach what you read about chapter 4. I wouldn't do that to you. But I would love for you to read chapter 4 this week and write out your own points and see how they differ from mine. Instead of saying, oh, that's new, that's new, that's new. I haven't, I haven't read that all. I haven't heard that at all. Read through chapter 4 a couple times this week and come on back next week and see. I didn't, I didn't see that. Or, wow, that's really good, but I would have done it this way. So what do you say? I don't know about you, but the more I read James, the more I realize I got a long way to go. So as Todd sings... Before you enjoy the rest of your sunny Sunday afternoon, do you find a place to pray? Do you talk to God?